The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who pod. I hope everyone enjoyed our draft episode last week. And this week we start off properly with season three. A little bit of Sylvester McCoy, vampires, weird zombie water things. And my good friend, Dan Griffin. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well, mate. We've got we've graduated from corpse water to zombie water. Uh, yeah. we've, got, we've got zombie vampires of the past, present and maybe future. Yeah, this is uh well, I suppose we better say what we're actually doing. If if anyone didn't hear the draft episode and, and weren't aware from what we did last week, well, first of all, go back and listen to it. It's great because it's us and we're brilliant. But other than that, <laughs> um <laughs> the the first, I suppose, drawn episode for us to watch is from Classic Who. And we're looking at the Sylvester McCoy story, The Curse of Fenric, which was first broadcast trail end of October, running into November 1989. After this, we only had Survival, which we covered in a previous season of the Doctor Who pod. And then that was it. Doctor Who was was canned for a good 20 plus years. Uh, Dan, there's a lot going on in this, isn't there? There is a lot going on. This is properly intricate. I think one of the, um, one of the accusations that was leveled at this story is that it was trying to tell a few stories in one, mm-hmm. which I think is, is kind of right. But not to give too much away, I actually really enjoyed this, especially come the come the final episode, um, where everything just seems to like. I like everything when I like it when you have a series and you, you're still asking questions going into the latter quarter of it, but then everything ties together. Yeah, but the one gripe I have is there's still some questions that would have been great to answer in a later episode. Mm. But obviously, with this being the penultimate serial, we never get those answers. No, and it's also out of um, out of order, I suppose, in with regards to how they were going to be broadcast. This was supposed the Curse of Fenric was supposed to be aired much earlier in the season as well, mm. uh, but it was moved by the producer for the season because they wanted the the more horror based stories to take place later in the year when when the, it's getting darker in the evenings. So they decided mm. to shift this one to a later point in in the in that particular series of Doctor Who. Caused yeah, a couple so- of issues. I mean, there's one moment where Ace references a creepy old house that she's that she knows, which actually turns up in Ghostlight, which would have already aired at this stage when it was supposed to be the other way round and so on. But you know, not not too much of a drastic issue, I think. I did wonder if that was a callback to something mm. uh, with the creepy old house in Perryville later on. But um, yeah, I. Um... I'm quite happy we, I chose this first up because this is, at the time of recording, we're, this is around about Halloween. Yes. You know, just a couple of weeks shy, so it felt appropriate for uh, for spooky season. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we, we, like I said, we have got a lot going on in this, and those who listen to the Doctor Who pod know there's kind of two ways we approach stories. One, we go episode by episode and just sort of discuss the stories as they're running. 
and the second one is we kind of jump around a little bit in the story and the timeline of the of the tale and it's back and forth and so on with different things affecting other moments in other episodes i feel with this one dan we're going to kind of doing a bit of both maybe I was just thinking it's going to be more of a hybrid approach because we need to we need to sort of go through season uh, season one episode one um, as it uh, sort of in order because mm-hmm. that sets up the major players it, it sets everything going we can sort of freeform it for episodes two and three and then episode four I think we need to run through in order again because that brings everything together it's kind of two and episodes two and three of this sort of branch out and then. It all ties together at the end, if you yeah. see what I mean. Yeah, I get you. Um, I'll also, a little bit of clarity for everyone listening and, and yourself, Dan. I've seen this several times. Mm. For some reason, when I watched it back for the recording we're doing today, I watched it back yesterday, I spent a great deal of it going, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> so there's a possibility, there's a possibility I may get quite lost as we talk back through it, just to pre-warn everybody. Yeah, that's fine. I can completely see that. I had a little bit of that myself. Um, in fact, with the final episode that I had to watch this morning, we were saying off air, um, I found it really difficult to make notes. So initially, I was just going to try and watch the whole episode and make notes based on that. In the end, yeah. I didn't. I actually went back and watched the first 15 minutes again. And I'm really glad I made notes because I had I had already forgotten what I'd just watched. <laughs> <laughs> there was so much there was so much well there's so much crammed into that final episode mm. there's so much happens and everything's moving along at such a fast pace i was um yeah i need and so many plot points that you actually need and and things that get revealed that you know that are alluded to earlier on that yeah it was kind of impossible to uh, to just bullet point it so uh, and I, I don't know if people like the little word counts even but uh, my word count for this uh, serial is 5255 words Bloody hell. That's a lot of notes, mate. That's a lot of notes. And I wonder why my hands hurt on occasion. <laughs> I mean, those who, who uh, listened to other shows that I'm involved in, quite wrestling-based, know that I used to write articles as well at one stage to make a bit of money and so on. I think that outweighs a great deal of the articles I actually wrote, your <laughs> word paint, in notes for this. I mean, that does include me quoting, like, like actually transcribing the speeches and all the rest of it. So, right. Um, okay. I will say as well, we've actually got a fair few um, uh, sort of tropes in this. Again, Robin from uh, from the waiting room, one of the other projects for Quantum Leap, and nicking it off uh, off Benny Mac. Um, there's a good few of them, and I don't quite know where I'm going to throw them in. Okay. So, shall I just run through them now? Yeah, let's go. Yeah, sounds great. Okay, then. So in the first episode, I think we see her in the first episode, uh, we see Miss Hardacre, who's taken in two, um, two, refugee, uh, two refugee, evacuee refugee children. Mm-hmm. Um, she is played by Janet Henfrey, who we have seen before on the Doctor Who pod, because okay. she played Mrs. Pitt, the old lady that died in Mummy on the Orient Express. Okay, why? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was, that was a really nice little turn up for the books. Um, one of the uh, Russian soldiers that will come to uh, versioning was played by a fellow called Marek Anton, who was who played the destroyer in Battlefield in 1989. Okay, yeah. Um, one of the Hemovars is played by a fellow called Ian Elliot, who was uh, who did bit parts. Uh, one of the sort of unsung heroes of Doctor Who uh, played bit parts and uncredited roles between 1970 and 1989. Um, 
most often he was a unit soldier who, who was in the mind of evil in 1970, Time Warrior in 73, Invasion of the Dinosaurs in 74, and we've seen him before because he was in Inferno right. in 1970. Uh, one of the uh, an unnamed Russian soldier uh, was played by Damon Jeffrey, and this ties into a couple of things because he would go on to be uncredited as a hotel room clown in the God Complex in 2011, which was going to be my pick for Matt Smith episodes on the draft. Right. And he was an extra in Sleeper in 2001, which was an episode of Murder in Mind. Ah, okay. Which ties into what... Yeah, one of your upcoming projects uh, with yeah. uh, with young Marty there. And those two, it's amazing he's done this, actually, because they are two of only eight career credits. Why? Yeah. So there you go. And then yeah, just, toys, to, yeah. just to round it out a couple... So to round it out a little bit, we've got Nurse Crane in this, who's played by Anne Reed. Uh, she was Florence Finnegan in Smith & Jones in 2007, which was uh, Martha's first episode. Mm. I'm not long when, watched that with Charlie, actually. Yeah, so she was there, but she was also more well known for playing Leslie Tiller in Hot Fuzz. Ah, uh, see, I've seen Hot Fuzz, but I don't remember her in it. She gets stabbed in the neck with the shears, and then they're always, I know, she tripped and fell on her own shears. Okay, I've not seen that film for so long. I have to go back and watch it. It's on the other night, actually. I should have watched it then. Mate, it's, on, it's, on about, it's on about seven times a week on ITV2. Yeah, ITV2, three, yeah. four, and all. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing that was broadcast more was the Queen's funeral. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just to round out the tropes, uh, our good buddy, Cy Town, again, one of the unsung heroes, he's back. And I didn't quite realise just how many things we've seen him in. Because, again, he was in Doctor Who in uncredited roles and as a Dalek operator from 1970 to 1989. And I praised him before in one of the previous episodes. But we, just alone on the episodes that we've done, we have seen him in, in chronological order, Inferno, The Three Doctors, Planet of the Daleks, Genesis of the Daleks, Attack of the Cybermen, and Happiness Patrol. My God, he's That's either insane. been in it, he's either been in it or been operating Daleks. Why? And that spans a lot of Doctors as well. Yeah, that's uh, so. That's Pertwee, Pertwee Baker, McCoy. Yeah. Why? And that's just what we've decades seen. worth, mate. Decades worth. Yeah. So thank you for indulging me there. I thought it was good. To, it was good to go through those and and nice to get to uh, to mention Sightown again. Yeah, I like all that stuff. I mean, that's awesome. Especially the the old lady appearing in the Mummy on the Orient Express as well. That's great. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. Cause it, it's it's one of those really long sort of career gaps, isn't it? Mm. You know, 1989 to 2011. It's 22 years. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That is great awesome. Stuff. But we've got to get on to the episode. And my first thing, you see, I've got to get it out of my head. Soldiers in a dinghy. What? Yes. And then we see something that is either the prow of a Viking longship or the little brother of the Scarasan from Terror of the Zygons. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. Because <laughs> obviously, I've never seen this. I was looking at it and thinking, oh, God, it's not another fucking dodgy, melty Jack Russell monster, is it? <laughs> Yeah, it's the return. You know, it's a throwback to all those episodes ago. <laughs> yeah, just God, why of all things have they brought this back? Yeah, um, but I don't know about but you. No, I didn't realize. It, I didn't realize until like episode three that that was supposed to be underwater. Really? 
<laughs> yeah, I just didn't realise. Oh, right. No, no, I got that straight away. I mean, that, that's not very often that happens to me, but... Hey, take the win where you can, mate. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned the sailors on the dinghies. These are Russians sailing in, and some disappear in some mist, don't they? Apparently, yes. though, there wasn't enough mist, and some had to be added in post-production. <laughs> which is seriously. just fantastic. Yeah, seriously, yeah. Oh, that's glorious. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a new one. Some we get the TARDIS materialising, and we realise it's World War II, and there's supposed to be a top-secret naval camp mm. that they're just strolling into. But then if if it's World War II, the Russian, Russia was part of the Allied forces. Yes. So what's going on? Immediately, it's laying the intrigue, which, uh, which I quite liked. Because it's another one of those where it's set up in a certain way. We've had one shot of a Viking boat. We've had a bit of spooky mist. But it's it's very much seems like it's going to be one of those grounded stories. Mm. Like, nothing too yeah, super, like nothing too supernatural. Oh, how misleading that is. Um, <laughs> the Doctor and Ace, they step out the TARDIS. And Ace here is dressed in clothing for the time. She's dressed in her in 1940s clothing, apart from her bomber jacket, which she's still carrying around with her, which doesn't go with anything else she's wearing. And apparently uh, Sophie Aldred, the actress, asked for this to be done because she wanted to dress in like period clothing for a story because she hadn't had the opportunity yet. Hmm. Yeah, I believe yeah. that. But I also, I also fully it. believe. <laughs> yeah, I also fully believe that it's in character that Ace would be like, "Look, I'll wear the clothes, but I'm taking my jacket." Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's, exactly. that's the kind of feeling I get off her. And it, it was, um, yeah. There's a couple of things that we'll come on to with Ace in this episode because I've, I've just got to ask you up front: How old is she supposed to be? I think she's like 19, isn't she? Okay, that makes stuff that's coming up a lot less creepy. Right. Okay. I think I know what you're getting at. Yeah, <laughs> I think she was. I think she was supposed to be like eighteen, nineteen, something like that. Yeah, I think the actress herself. I think Sophie Aldred at this point was in her twenties. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's just later on with the uh, the whole distract the guards routine. Yeah, that was a bit. Oh dear me. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. we will. We will. Worst flirting I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> You've never been out with me. <laughs> well, actually, oh. no, you have been out with me, but I've given up, so, you know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, some of the, as, as we said, some of the Russians have disappeared, haven't they? Mm. And the, the other Russians are panicking. Apparently, the majority of these Russians are played by Polish actors, or so I'm told. But there we go. Uh, we've got it. We're also getting subtitles for when they're talking, which is something that you don't really see in classic who at all. I think there's only one or two other occasions that might have happened. All right. And then, yeah. And then in modern who they're just explaining it away that the TARDIS has got the, um, the translation matrix. Mm. I don't know if that yeah. gets explained in classic who I don't think so. No, I don't think so. But seeing the, um, the, the, the subtitles, it really it wasn't jarring as in in a bad way but it kind of surprised me a little bit because i was so not used to seeing it and mm. also the fantastic font for 1989 that they obviously oh, thought was futuristic it was just like a digital <laughs> clock you know it was <laughs> <laughs> it was crap on it oh so good <laughs> oh 1980s futuristic mm. on a bbc yes. budget <laughs> Yes, on a BBC budget on a show that's nearly you know going out of uh, out of circulation as well. They're right to can it, so the budget would have been less than normal. 
Still better than Comic Sans. Wow, true, true. Uh, the Russians on the beach, however, I mean, they're, they're here for a reason, which we'll get to shortly, but they then find a body of another Russian, don't they? Yeah, well, they're, they're looking. They're wondering where the where the comrades are, where the other boat is, and they pull a guy out of the water, and he's obviously seen or endured something. Mm. And but he was supposed to have the orders, like the actual dossier with the full plan on it. So the kind yeah. of the kind of in the uh, in the dark at that point, no pun intended, because it is night time. Yeah, I mean, what would you do in that scenario? Would you just get in your boats and bugger off back home then, or what? You know? Well, they'll have, a, they'll have a rough idea of they'll have a rough idea of what they're supposed to do. So I guess just hang around, see what washes up, and wing it. Go, go for a pint. Yeah. Imagine that, just a gang of Russian soldiers walking into a little country village pub yeah. in the middle of World War Two. <laughs> <laughs> just being a, just being stereotypes and ordering the vodka. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we got our first sight of uh, Doctor Judson pretty much after this don't we and he's busy yeah. working on something it's a combination of um viking inscriptions and a a logic algorithm called the prisoner's dilemma mm-hmm. now i had to look this up because this wasn't what i thought it was um i couldn't because uh, i was getting it confused with something completely different and now the web page i had preloaded for this will load because i'm recording in a different room and i have even less internet than usual <laughs> ah, i've got it now so the prisoner's dilemma is a uh, is a, an example of a game analyzed in game theory that shows why two completely rational agents might not cooperate even if it appears that it is in their best interest to do so so it was initially uh, brought about in the 1950s and so obviously it we're sort of skewing the timeline a little bit here either dr yeah. judson was way ahead of his time and obviously ace has already been taught in school so you know it, it, that kind of lays the um sort of lays the framework that things aren't quite above board so the best sort of the best example of it is from a, a, a book by william poundstone and it's sort of given like this two members of a criminal gang are arrested and imprisoned each prisoner is in solitary confinement with no means of speaking to or exchanging messages with the other the police admit they don't have enough evidence to convict the pair on the on the principal charge they plan to sentence both to a year in prison on a lesser charge simultaneously the police offer each prisoner the following bargains so the possible outcomes are, if both prisoners betray each other, each of them serves two years in prison. If prisoner A betrays, uh, betrays prisoner B, but prisoner B remains silent, prisoner A will be set, th- set free and prisoner B will serve three years in prison. Same works the other way around, if B betrays A, but A, A stays silent. And then if both just shut up and close ranks, both of them will serve one year in prison on the lesser charge. Okay. So the whole sort of thing behind it is trying to figure out who basically what's the, what's, what's the outcome going to be. And if it's, you know, if there's any, if there's any bias in the, uh, in the findings and, uh, and things like that, but that's the basic idea behind it. Right. Okay. I've never heard that before. I hadn't until last night and it was, um, it was frying my brain reading it at half past midnight. <laughs> fair enough 
the Doctor and Ace have basically just stormed into this little office workspace of Dr. Judson at this point as well, haven't they? And I like the Doctor writing up his own papers to explain his presence after basically just being all yes. bullshit and getting past a load of guards just by saying, well, we're, we're supposed to be here and walking off and they just take his word for it. Yes, yeah, it's about time, you know. What, what if we were? What if we were Germans, you know? And, and Ace just follows along. It, it was, it was kind of like an evolution of the Patrick Troughton thing that we saw in the Five Doctors uh, last season, where he said, "Me, not allowed. I'm allowed everywhere." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. And you see, Doctor Judson, he's obviously, you know, a brilliant scientist, and he's marvelling at Ace's grasp of logic puzzles and and things like that. Um, it, this is the first instance, and this happens a couple of times in this opening episode, where the Doctor's desperate to see Dr. Judson and then just abruptly leaves. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Oh, we must see Do- Dr. Judson. Where's his office? Okay, we'll go in. Hello, Dr. Judson. Blah, blah, blah. blah. Oh, wait, actually, I could do with a kip. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And uh, it's, it's funny as well, because I've, I've actually got a note here saying this is already moving really fast. Yeah. It seems every scene, I, I don't, I don't mean rushed as in it's, it's rushed in a bad way, like badly acted or, or sort of shot through really quickly or anything like that. I just mean literally everything seems to be in a rush. The doctor arriving, then the doctor getting past the soldiers, going into the um, workspace of Dr. Judson, leaving Dr. Judson It's all very quick. And the pace they're talking at as well seems quick. It seems like they're really sort of, getting the dialogue out as fast mm-hmm. as they can before moving on to something else. And it really does feel very, very fast. And it doesn't seem to really relent either throughout the whole four-parter. Even when you have quieter moments, when those finish, you're back to super fast scenes, cut between this, cut between that. And on one hand, I quite like that because it doesn't make it feel like there's a major lull at any point to me. But on the other side of the coin, it almost at times felt it was going too quick and I couldn't quite always digest what's just happened before moving on to something else. Yeah. I I was kind of the same. Um, I think the worst example of this, where there's so many story threads and cutting backwards and forwards, the worst example we've seen on this show uh, was the first Colin Baker serial that we looked at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where it was just so all over the, it was, that was uh, attack of the side then, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That was so all over the place, and we were all just completely lost. There's a way to do that kind of storytelling where the viewer feels along for the ride as opposed to left behind. This is more of that, more of that style. I felt more along for the ride than I did sort of left behind. Um, There were a few moments where you're just looking at it like it does the Game of Thrones thing. Uh, where it, it throws so many names at you mm. across the episodes that I'm just looking at thinking, well, who the hell are you? You know, I, I, yeah. know, I know who you are and how you got to where you are. I know what your aim is, but I don't know your name because it was spoken in, it was spoken, you know, two episodes ago. Nobody's used it since, but so much has happened that I've just forgotten. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but it doesn't. It like it. It, it, it. It's more on the positive side of things than the negative for me. No, yeah, I, I agree. It's it's it seems it makes more sense than the Colin Baker story you mentioned. But I still wish it would every now and again just take a breather, let me digest yeah. what I've seen, let me take on board what I've seen because certain things will happen, 
uh, and as we run through it, like I said, there's going to be parts of the story where we are literally jumping back and forth and not doing things in order. Because I think that's just the nature of this sort of episode. But when we get to certain parts of the story, things would happen. And I'd be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And it would take me a minute or two to twig what it does because something happened three scenes ago that happened so quickly. I didn't even, it didn't even register with me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I really do. It's, um, yeah, it, it, it's hard to, it's hard to quantify it, but it, we'll, we'll get into it anyway. And people see what we yeah. mean. Yeah. Uh, as I said, the doctor It's funny because he, he walks into Dr. Judson's work area and the is it a nurse with him that that lady that's that's his nurse isn't it yes that's uh, and that's uh, the lady who played uh who was in the first uh, martha episode yes okay yes okay so yeah he walks into there and the the nurse and dr judson are surprised obviously because he's just come bolstering in with ace and loud and brash and you know he doesn't look like he really belongs at this stage and then he obviously he's, he's like you know getting told get out well this is this is a you know a disgrace you shouldn't be in here very quickly manages to convince dr judson that it's worth him being there now they were literally on the brink of throwing this guy out they then see the doctor right in front of them forge his own papers to say that he can stay basically to say who he is he's got permission from very big higher ups i mean he forges winston churchill's signature i believe on one of the papers and <laughs> they don't say a word then when the soldiers come in to check who this guy is and he hands over his papers, his permission slip, so to speak, for want of a better phrase, the doctor and the nurse, sorry, Dr. Judson and the nurse both just stay completely stum. They just don't say a word. It's like, oh yeah, you just, can stay now. They were just really impressed by how quickly he could commit a crime. Yeah. <laughs> it was cool though, because he's typing it out whilst talking to them, takes it out of the old typewriter and then signs it in the two different people's signatures by using his crossing his arms over and signing it almost backwards with one arm, isn't it? Yeah. He's using both hands to write with, and it is really impressive. Um, you know, and, and you know, surely that warrants a bit of intrigue. And it's like, actually, let's have a look at you. And then, as I say, we've already had the thing with this. So, uh, Dr. Judson's realizing that he's in the presence of, of probably scientists, you know, people on the same wavelength as he is. Um, and we see later, especially later on, he's obviously not happy at having, you know, Nurse Crane as a, as a, you know, looking after him because he's, he's yeah. confined to a wheelchair. And she does treat him as if he's an idiot, even though he's a genius. Yes, this is true. This is true. Uh, whilst this is going on, we get back to the Russians and they have found their envelope or well, waterproof envelope with the papers in that is part of their mission. It's washed up. And there's a picture of Dr. Judson in it so we know that the russians are here and uh, their purpose for being there is something to do with dr judson and his work isn't it dan yeah yeah it's exactly like they pull a uh, sort of a black waterproof uh, dossier out it's got Dr. judson's picture and then they start plans for invading the base and leave one of the fellas i think it's called petrosian uh to guard the beach on his own just to keep a lookout and it's at this point where we're sort of flitting backwards and we're already flitting backwards and forwards between stories between the Russians, Ace and the Doctor, and uh, and this guy on the beach. Yeah. And that's when we get a shot that they I don't think they actually use again, apart from in this first episode, where something goes after this Russian soldier. He finds something on the beach. And we see a, a point of view shot with all green... Um, we're just all green around the edges, which is obviously mm-hmm. indicative of a monster. And it gets chased down and 
the guy runs and, and screams as whatever it is gets him. So that that actually felt like it could have been the end of an episode. So when right. you say, when you when you say about it being, uh, you know, with, about it progressing very quickly and needing a breather, I do wonder if the initial plan was to get to the end of an episode at this point and flesh it out a little bit more. Well, what what I read before recording today was that they actually overfilmed. It was going to be a four part right. story, but they actually filmed too much. Uh, so the, uh, the the conversation was had by the producers and Ian Briggs, the person who wrote this story and so on, that they were going to try and make it into a five-parter. Mm. But then they realized that, the, yes, they'd overfilmed, they'd overshot, but they hadn't filmed enough to make it into a five-part episode. Right, got you. So there was like this extra amount of time that they had to chip away at to bring it back down into the four-episode bracket. And that explains why, as well, you get certain moments well like this one right now for example the doctor and ace are at uh dr judson's side very next scene the doctor and ace are at the church mm. now that happens a lot all the way through this story they're just popping up all over the place uh, because of one of the things that pe- that was uh removed from the story was any footage of them traveling from one location to another to try and just reduce down the screen time so that's why if yeah. you watch this back it's so apparent that you know, the Doctor and Ace are just turning up left, right, and center. Almost, It almost feels like they're in two or three places at the same time. There's no real sort of timeline to the episode with regards to real travel, I guess. Yeah, that, and that can be a problem. We've seen it in the past, um, both classic and modern, who uh, everything feels... I've talked before about how things feel like they make sense in the world. I think it was in The Five Doctors where you, you could almost feel all the parties edging towards their sort of location at exactly the same rate. Yeah. Um, This, because there's so few characters in it, I think doesn't suffer for the lack of, uh, for the lack of travel. Mm -hmm. And the vast majority of it takes place, you know, I think it's across a day or two. So it's entirely, you know, it's only a small, it's a small seaside village and the base is going to be nearby. So it's entirely possible that it'd only take, 10 minutes to you know yeah to wander or, or get you know jump in a car quickly to get over there so travel shots i think would have maybe been a bit unnecessary yeah no i get you i get you I mean, maybe that would have, out. well yeah yeah maybe that would have been the breathing time that i was after to sort of take in what i've just seen if you had these you know literally 10 second mm. clips of them traveling from one place to another it would have broken it up a bit for me rather than the constant changing from one scene to another to another, never really getting a break from this kind of not, not crazy hectic pace, but quicker than we're used to with a lot of classic who. Yeah, I can see what I can see now. What I've just said there, it maybe sounds a little bit, um, a little bit sort of almost like contradictory to what I was saying before, but I'm just, you know, I was just trying to get to the, yeah, I, I would have appreciated a breather, but obviously they had the time to fill, like you say, so something had to give mm-hmm. um the thing is it goes from this guy getting killed on the beach and then this is a little bit that i felt sort of very jarring a couple of times you know th- this couple of next sort of little scenes or scenelets when we're outside a church 
there's a vicar there, there's a woman giving him a hard time and they're having a debate on faith and, and whatnot. And she said, oh, it's not, good, not as good as it used to be when your father was involved and all this. And that's Mrs. Hardacre initially. That was the lady who was uh, Mrs. Pitt in, uh, yeah. uh, in Mummy on the Orient Express. And we go from that and then speaking to a couple of uh, evacuee, uh, evacuees, you know, say, oh, we'll meet at Maiden's Point, you know, go to the beach. And then we go straight from that. So we've gone from a murder to a church and an old woman harassing a vicar and the doctor going off, you know, to look for Judson. And then we go to the desk of Commander A.H. Millington and there's fucking Nazi regalia all over it. Mate, honestly, when I was watching this, I, I saw the swastikas and that and I was like, oh my God, there's actual Nazis this time. It's not I mean, just, it, you know, it's <laughs> World metaphor. War II. It's World War Two. It makes sense, but why is it on this show that it's always Nazi? I'm going to make Doctor Who pod bingo card, like a virtual Doctor Who bingo card. Yeah. And Doctor Who pod bingo card and just have it, just throw it out there for every Classic Who episode. We need, so we need to fill like nine squares. So we, Nazis. Yeah. Quarries. Uh, yeah. Uh, us two break down laughing at something incredibly <laughs> childish. <laughs> Knob joke. <laughs> Pe- penis joke. <laughs> Um, Pina, do, do we do we have a separate category for innuendo? In your endo, yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh dear, um, uh, five, <laughs> five or more outtakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when we went to that guy, though, uh, his name escapes me now. When we, when we went to the the commanding officer in the office, there was obviously he's got a massive picture of Hitler behind him as well. <laughs> and um, I'm looking at the guy and I'm thinking he's got the little tash going on, hasn't he? And I think, yeah. Is that, is that supposed to be Hitler at my first glance, you know? Yeah. Well, this is the thing, right? They explain it later on. And we're starting to jump around already, but I think we just need to sort of take this as it comes. Um, they explain it away later on as, Oh, it's just commander Millington, uh, wanting to think like, uh, think like the enemy and outmaneuver them. I don't give a shit how method acting you want to get with it. He's got a room full of Nazi fucking memorabilia. It's made to look like the war room in Berlin. That is not normal. That guy no. has issues. He's an odd fella, mate. He's an odd fella. Uh, again, you saying about that? He, he was trying to get into the head of the into the head of his enemies. Think like them. That's why he's he's sat in the office that looks like where they would be, you know, planning and plotting. I guess that's not a normal thing. I've never heard of anyone do that. No, no, it's bizarre, and I was mm-hmm. just, uh, I just, I had to laugh as well. We're back to the Nazis or fascists or whatever. Just dear lord. <laughs> uh, we also get uh, well. We, we mentioned at the church just before we see the, the 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 fake real Nazis or whatever they might have been in this scenario. Uh, the doctor and Ace at the church. Ace has now met these two girls from London who are staying with uh, the the battle axe lady who's arguing with the vicar <laughs> the call of the old bag don't they? yeah <laughs> um now these two girls this is something that we get quite a big scene later on with these two girls that they're the long lasting memory of this story for me i remember watching this as a kid what are you, and... you going to tell me si? no, no 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 i remember watching this as a kid and you know again Sylvester McCoy era was I was watching it when I was you know eight nine whatever it may well be bits and bobs I remember but it's more like if, if this is your first bonus story this is weird 
<laughs> them sexy vampires. <laughs> <laughs> but no, certain certain memories from that time frame. Not whole episodes, not whole stories, just certain flashpoints are really vivid in my mind. And I keep talking about the Cybermen in Silver Nemesis terrifying me. This story here, when I watched it back again now for the show, I realized this gave me nightmares as well. All right. The two girls gave me nightmares for obvious reasons later on. We'll get to that shortly. But also like some of the other more horror aspects of it scared the crap out of me when i was a kid i remember sitting downstairs and watching it and it, it, was, it was at that point where my parents were thinking we shouldn't let him watch this because he was so scared of the cybermen i was adamant i wanted to watch doctor who and i was telling my mom and dad i'll be fine i'll be fine i'm not scared just let me watch it because i loved it so much this terrifying me but having to sit there and pretend i wasn't scared in front of my mom and dad because i know they would turn it off <laughs> i had to completely no sell the fear and to this day, size good lady wife isn't isn't allowed to have her nails too long because it freaks him out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. We we also find out as well that uh, the church that <laughs> this is just another that again. There's so many things going on already. We, we've got fake Nazis in the war here that had real Nazis. We've got two young girls from London. Uh, we've got a battle axe old lady. We've got a vicar who is not too sure on his own faith arguing with this battle axe lady we've got dr judson tinkering with his you know knobs and buttons her her we've got um <laughs> russian soldiers we've got a viking longboat there's so much going on already just to and add a little we've... bit more to that yeah. the church is built on viking graves yep yeah, it's the british version of an old indian burial ground <laughs> yeah sorry native american battle gra- uh, burial ground i should say um yeah it's it's just it's just such a throwaway thing and he talks about having uh, the superstitious locals and and the you know curse on the church from viking graves and then we get a brief history lesson when we find judson in the crypts uh, you know pouring over the runes and and the inscriptions and the history of viking alphabets mm. yeah and apparently he does i mean th- this th- this also gives you a little insight i think into the vicar here because dr judson for away from his work for, for like relaxation for fun i don't know his hobby or whatever is trying to translate these viking carvings in in the, the cellar of the church the bottom of the church the tomb i guess isn't it the crypt yes that's it that's, that's like his idea of a good time you know i mean he needs to get out of bay a little bit more but i suppose there is a war on but he's uh and, and he's confined to a wheelchair in 1942 i don't think the accessibility was um was as great as it could have been. No, I suppose. But he's a high-up scientist, isn't he? You know, he's probably got a few quid. You can always just ring a mm-hmm. bait, make the party come to you, can't you? Oh, maybe. Maybe. But he's basically going to... He's developed something called the Ultima Machine, uh, which is essentially a version of the Enigma Machine uh, that's going to be used to decipher Nazi codes. So he's going to translate the uh, the Viking runes uh, with that, which is a bit weird. He didn't think to do that sooner. Yes. And what then makes me think that the vicar is a bit of a dick is this guy is working hard to do this. He's got a book on his cabinet, the vicar of, of it all translated already. His granddad's already done it. (laughs) (laughs) Two generations of his family ago. And he's like, go on then wheels. You crack on pal. You get on with doing that. And then just giggles behind his back. You knobhead. I've got it all up there on my bookshelf, you know, 
next to my Bible <laughs> and my encyclopedia and my I don't know. You think you, you think you're so fucking smart, Judson? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a weird me. power trip. It's a weird power trip for a vicar, isn't it? Yeah, that's I, 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 was, I found that really strange. I was like, what is this dude's problem? Yeah, but you know, the daft thing is as well. This is the second time that the doctor just decides to leave Doctor Judson to his own devices. And then we get an, yet another element thrown in the mix because Ace reckons she can hear machinery behind the walls. Mm, yeah. And then we, and yeah. then just to add another thing, the doctor's pointing out they're in the graveyard and the the subsidence in the ground and a crooked headstone. So you worded that really well. So was it subsidence in the ground and a crooked headstone? That's what they called it on the show. Right. My notes literally say, "Doctor sees graves are a bit wonky." oh the the difference between me and you i listened and wrote down the word they used you described your own brain (laughs) a bit wonky oh dear uh are are we all a bit wonky really though we are mate we are Ace has arranged to meet these. She's made friends very quickly here. She was in the presence of these two young girls from London for about 45 seconds. And they're yeah. already best pals. And she's like, oh, I'll see you later. And they're like, yeah, okay. And then they instantly arrange where? Maiden's Point. Let's meet there. You know, so they, they, they've confirmed they're going to meet up later on, having known each other for all of 30 seconds. The girl's landlady, this, this battle axe old bag, as they refer to her as, is warning the girls away from Maiden's Point saying that this is not a good place to go. Um, people go there and disappear, and, and the, the, there's the darkness. <laughs> it's, it's, it's better than that. Just, when you stand on cliffs, you can hear sound of girls who went there with evil in their heart. Yeah. But we're going for a swim. Yeah. Yeah, that, she's Shout like out. proper, you know, dark in, in her mind here, isn't she? I mean, she's yeah. supposed to be like this God-fearing Christian, but she's bringing, she, she literally thinks the devil is out there in this water. I mean, to be fair to her, in hindsight, I mean, what she's yeah. saying at the time you think is nonsense and it's a bit heavy and it's a little bit like calm down love let him go for a bit of a dip you know but yeah it's it, the thing like you're thinking, she's actually kind of right yeah she is i mean another thing i'd point out as well when you say about the sort of the quickness of the relationship you got to sort of bear in mind that ace is traveling with the doctor so she's around this older fella all the time and then the evacuees are possibly the only two uh, only two teenage girls in this village who've been evacuated there. Mm. So they're going to naturally gravitate towards each other. I think it's not yeah, the okay. most, it's not the, it's not the weirdest example of a very quick relationship forming in this serial. No, no, that's true. That's true. Fair enough. Uh, <sighs> The doctor decides he's going to go with Ace to meet the girls for a swim, <laughs> which is yeah, a little I mean, bit. <laughs> cheers, 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 pervy granddad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll come with you, Ace. <laughs> I don't know what that noise was then. <laughs> That's the noise Sylvester McCoy made in his head. <laughs> is that Sylvester McCoy's horny noise? <laughs> <laughs> The Doctor goes with Ace down to the beach at Maiden's Point and then very quickly decides he needs to go back and see somebody else and just leaves her at the water. Well, it's because they find the um, the Russian orders. Oh, yes, of course. Right. So he knows then. He's figured out it's something to do with Dr. Judson as well and whatever he's working yeah. on. So he's going to run back to Dr. Judson as well. 
Ace wants to stay, and she's told very, very sternly by Sylvester McCoy, do not go in the water. Yeah. It's it's at this point you, you realise the Doctor knows more than he's letting on. Mm. Yeah. And at this yes. point, I forgot what um, I forgot what the commander's name was called. So for a good while in my notes here, I've just started calling him Closet Nazi. Closet Nazi. Well, that works, mate. That works. <laughs> yeah. He's a weird dude, isn't he? Oh, oh I, yeah. I had a note on that, actually. You know, um, the original uh, writer for this story, Ian Briggs, in an interview, actually said that he intended initially for the characters of um, Commander Millington, or Captain Millington, whatever his rank is, and Dr. Judson to be romantically involved. Oh, okay. And that's why they have the, the, the moment where when the doctor is in the fake Nazi office pointing out, Oh, they went to school together. Look at them both here in this picture. wearing the same school tie that apparently they have some kind of sexual or romantic past, but it was, it was taken out of the story. Oh, that's a shame. Hmm. It'd have been, been a good sort of, a good sort of fleshing out of the story really. And then, you know, how these two have, have sort of been together for so long. And because and, it, it's one of those things where quite a few times in this serial, you see that there's a past between characters. Yeah. But it's never fully explored. You're given just enough to to get that, but you're still kind of left intrigued. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, also, also, there is a lot going on. So you don't tend to get the backstories as in depth or, or as a, at all of some characters in this story. But it, I think it does work to a degree because there are certain Doctor Who stories where it feels like the Doctor has literally been dropped into the middle of a shitstorm. And there is no time for that because it's all already things are going bad. So I think those stories, it does, because you don't stop and have a proper chat about, oh, where did you grow up or anything like that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. But yeah, the, yeah, this is, it, like I say, it, it, it does enough, it, it does enough to entertain me and entertain me to a good degree but it and i don't necessarily need every question answering no no but I, I i almost wish they'd done a follow-up or just an extra part just to give us that extra context mm. yeah i understand uh, eventually we see that the, well the doctor goes back to the church and he's questioning the vicar about certain things the vicar then you know relays the information to the doctor that he's already translated the viking carvings the cheeky scamp getting dr judson to do it again and by this point then the girls are swimming at maiden's point and they are mocking ace for not wanting to get in the water here aren't they yeah the uh, the, the whole the uh, the scathing insult ace of calling her a baby doll mm. those words hurt man yeah yeah, they, but then yeah. we get the doctor reading the translations, and I quite I really like this because I've been playing a lot of um, Assassin's Creed Valhalla up until very recently, so Norse mythology and, and things like that very much uh, sort of fresh in my mind. And okay, we get sort of a look at where this is going, really. And the the doctor reads it. It says, "We I've got it here." It says, "We hope to return to the North Way, carrying home the Oriental treasures from the Silk Lands in the East." but the dark curse follows our dragon ship. Black fog turned day into night and the fingers of death reached out from the waters to reclaim the treasures we stole. I carve these stones in memory of Asmund, Grimvald, Torkal, Halfdan, brave Viking warriors slain by the curse. We sought haven in Northumbria and took refuge at a place called Maiden's Bay, but the curse has followed us here. Mm. So that was a really good way, very concisely, to tell 
uh, to, to tell the audience that okay, these are Viking. You know, there's Viking. Sh- there's Viking ship. They've stolen something out east. They've got to what they call Northumbria, and they've had to. You know, and that's why that's how this got here. That was a nice little sort of few seconds where we get the history. We get a snippet of the history behind it. We see the ship underwater again, and we've already seen the uh, the girls in the water in the sea getting sort of getting stalked. Yeah. So that yeah. that was really good. That was really good. And then the doctor twigs that Maiden's Bay is in fact Maiden's Point. He's not a big his. stretch. To be fair. It's not. It's not. It's no. not you don't need a mastermind to figure that one out. But okay. <laughs> yeah. The doctor's worried about Ace, but she walks in because she's walked off because the uh, the girls were mean to her. Yeah. Yeah, and then back at the beach with the girls. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. There was just another quick bit. The doctor then pulls out the um, the Russian orders and links Northway with Norway, so they know that the Russians are now after the same thing that brought that the Vikings had. They're after whatever treasure or curse or, or anything. So they mm. need to that that then gives them the logic for going to see Judson. Right. Yes. Okay. Uh, the girls back at the beach have then found what I initially thought was just a rock or like an odd shaped, you know, thing, but it turns out it's like a little piece of treasure, isn't it? They find on the beach. Yeah. It's not like silvery trinket. I think is the best way to put it. Mm. And, uh, it's and tingly. All the while, <laughs> yeah, it's tingly. <laughs> no, it's like electricity. Um, there's actually a giveaway later on of roughly where this is. And it's not too far from me. Um, while they're doing this, there's a, there's a Russian sniper watching them. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't quite get that. I always he's, he's there to watch the water, isn't he? He's been told to keep an eye out. What's he keeping an eye out for? Yeah, but that guy that guy already got killed. Oh yeah, of course. So this is just oh, another so dude that they sent back. Yeah, and he's just having a bit of a perv on these girls having a swim. Yeah, yeah. Um, Russian sniper pervert. <laughs> yeah, Russian sniper add, pervert. Add that to the festival lineup. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this tingle, what I wrote down here as a tingly rock, which obviously we now know is not a tingly rock. It's it's something else. Um, <laughs> this, <laughs> the soul <laughs> tingly rock. <isn't> <laughs> oh, don't start that again. Um, <laughs> you started it. Uh, the the soldier goes over and has a look as well picks it up and ends up throwing it back into the water and i thought this was quite cool because this creepy manky hand catches it under the water and then we see a load of the dead soldiers don't we yeah that was a great shot mm. absolutely loved that shot it was uh it was fantastic um and then you know while that's happening we've got the doctor delivering the transcripts to uh, to judson and we're getting more more of the history behind it saying night is the time of the evil curse and no man is safe alone. The waters are most dangerous. The dark evil lies waiting in the sea. It has followed the treasure we stole. We cannot see it, but we know that it is there beneath the surface beyond seeing, but it is there and one by one, our crew is being killed. And that's kind of what's happening to the Russians. Mm, Yeah. Like history repeating itself. And then the doctor and ace uh, are heading back to the seaside at this point. Back to the beach? No, they they're not. They're, um, 
not quite. The first, first, the the doctor feels the need to to take Ace and peek into a room where they're listening to German German coded messages. Because uh, oh, of course, yeah. So the doctor's getting a kick out of just being at the door and peeking in and going, um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a really weird thing, like. With from what little I've seen of Ace, she doesn't seem like she'd be the most paternal or maternal, I shouldn't no. say. But she starts no, like cooing all over this baby and and all that, and then just abruptly hates the hates the poor little thing when she finds out the baby's called Audrey because Audrey was a mum's name. Yeah, and straight away, you know, it's a program by time travel. I don't like that baby anymore because it's got my mum's name. We all know it's going to be Ace's mum straight away, don't we? Oh yeah, even I called it at this point. I, I've never seen this before. Um, yeah, although it it ran the this episode ran the risk of um in of running foul of something called the grandfather paradox. <clears throat> okay, a couple of times, which is a time travel theory whereby if you if someone were to go back in time and kill a relative, say a grandfather you'd then negate yourself ever being born, which means you couldn't have gone back to kill him in the first place. Right, yeah. But then that means it, it, But then that means your grandfather had lived, so then you would have been born, so then you would have gone back in time, and it's just a continual loop and a paradox. Yeah, I love shit like that. So technically impossible, um, but we see it We see it here, or, or the, the potential for it here, because you know, we, we find out, we do find out later on, spoilers, guys, uh, that Audrey is Ace's mum. Um but then it, it, there's also, oh no, it's not the grand. Sorry, it's the bootstrap paradox later on. I'll come to that later. Okay. Wibbly wobbly, timey wimey, wee wee boop boop. <laughs> uh, uh, but the, this is effectively the end of the first episode now, isn't it? As we're just clicking over into an hour of our recording, this is the end of the first episode. Uh, yeah, we've got to the- start. We've got to, we've got to crack this on. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We've got to stop laughing at silly sex noises. Um, <laughs> the, her. See, that's going to get cut. So we're just making noises now that people listening aren't going to understand. <laughs> Don't care. Fair enough. <laughs> the Doctor and Ace find a dead soldier. Uh, and then they're surrounded at gunpoint by more Russians. And that's the end of the episode. And I think that's a relatively that's when decent the, And that's when the Doctor died. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I think that's a relatively good uh, yeah, cliffhanger. It is, a, it is a good cliffhanger. Yeah, I like it. And it's been it's been a fast paced first episode, a lot to get our teeth into, obviously, as you can tell by the length of the recording at this point. Um yeah, brilliant. Um so let's get I suppose we best get into the rest of it now. Um, yes, it jumps around so much. There's so much going on, but I think yeah. that there's only certain moments that are actually really important. Yeah, I mean it, just to sort of pick up where we left off, and then we'll get into the jumping around. The, <laughs> they're surrounded by um, Russians at gunpoint, and the doctor talks his way out of it, basically. And, and he does this by saying they know more than even they think they do, and speaks a bit of Russian, and that's that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's Weird. very, very. It's the same as when we watched the the Doctor dances, and you had the brilliant cliffhanger there, where he was, you know, the end of the empty child, when he's surrounded by all the the people in the hospital, and mm. it comes back the following episode, and he just shouts, "Go to your room," and it's dealt with. It felt kind of, yeah, for the level of cliffhanger, it felt resolved quite quickly. Mm. 
it, well, it did, but then we sort of we're not given too much time to dwell on it because we're straight into then. And I thought that this is actually one of the things that, that this serial did very well throughout all the episodes. When you see somebody reading from the transcripts and or transcribing a bit more of the the history of the Curse of Fenric. Yeah. And uh, Judson's reading bits about it and, you know, forgiving sins and the curse rising. And it's actually named the Curse of Fenric. And we see these sort of clawed amphibian hands underwater again. And there, there are runes lighting up in the crypt as Judson's reading. That, I thought, was brilliant. Yeah, that was really good, really atmospheric. And there's, there's, it's always like several different scenes all being tied together as he's reading this kind of this transcription. And I think, it, I think it's so well done, so cleverly done. Yeah. It's just, just throughout the thing, you know, throughout the show it's it's great, you know, these bits of history and all that. And then the drop in bits of, um, you know, of Norse mythology and whatnot, one that I ended up researching um, because of, of all things in this episode, we get another thing and it's, it's Millington's plan. Because Ace yeah. should heard the machinery in the crypt, and it turns out there's a whole secret lab under there that's found this well of natural poison that Millington's made bombs out of and wants to drop on everything, so that the, so that either he or Britain can control the world. It's not quite clear. Yeah, and he, <laughs> you also then come to the Ultima machine, which is the the the, the big code breaking uh, thing yeah. that Doctor Judah is working on, and they they're trying to they're basically assuming the russians are there to steal the ultimate machine which they are oh they're, so, they're, not, they're not only they're not only assuming it they've they've engineered it yes they've made yes, sure they the security down. is lacked yeah um, exactly. because and they've placed up, some of this glowing green poison stuff from the leaky graves in the ultimate machine so that when a certain word goes through it it's going to explode and kill everyone in the Kremlin. Is there a plan, and, isn't it? For after the yeah. war. And the word, the word that the plan on using to trigger it is love, which is weird and never explained. Mm. But when they find, they found this like source of poison, the doctor refers to it, to it as the, uh, as more horrible than the well of Fergalmere. And I wasn't familiar with that. I was like, well, that's got to be a reference to something. And in Norse mythology, um, a big part of it is, um, the the sort of it's called the cosmic tree or the world tree of uh, of Yggdrasil, and at the base of the tree of Yggdrasil is a dragon called uh, called Needhog, and it that gnaws upon the roots of the tree, and it's where all the uh, all the dead things fall and rot before you get to oh. hell. Before you actually get into Helheim, it's in a realm. You know, there's the nine realms of Norse mythology. This one's in Niflheim, and there's all this, all the rotten stuff at the base of the tree of Yggdrasil, where this dragon feeds on stuff, and there's all snakes and everything. And it was just a really, you know, I'm not doing it justice there, but you know, give it a read if uh, if you're interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I, and that happens a lot in this story, doesn't it? The crossovers into that sort of mythology and and so on. You know. Yeah, well, it's it's a weird thing because there was. Uh, I've seen it in a lot of things and, and read in, in various bits and pieces how, um, so particularly towards the latter day of the war, Hitler was, or Hitler or his generals got sort of interested in researching the occult mm. and, and like, you know, mythology and, and things like that. So this is kind of a, 
sort of a mirror of it or a parody of it, um, where obviously this British uh, commander is using Norse mythology and, and myth and, and, you know, the legend of a curse to, in his mind, win the war. Yeah. Yeah, very strong. Obviously, as all this is going on as well, we're, we're jumping back and forth through different situations. And we see that the girls are heading back to the water again after having a big Barney with their landlady because she's found their yeah. wet clothing <laughs> yeah. and she's telling them off, calling them all sorts of names because they've gone for a bit of a swim. And they decide they're going to go back again, even though they just had their ass kicked by their, their landlady. And they just run into the water fully clothed. Well, she's, she's not even a landlady. She's supposed to be their guardian. Yes. Uh, but she tells them, because they've been for a dip, that they'll burn in the everlasting fires of hell and they're <laughs> black they have black hearts and nothing but pitiless damnation awaits them. Yeah. It all seems a bit over the top, but again, I suppose it, it, in hindsight, she's kind of right. Uh, yeah. But you know, there's a way to frame it mm. Mm. in there. Um, speaking of, oh, so just going back to the poison as well, while all this, again, while all this is going on, um, the one part of the lab's been sealed up and, there's sort of a green flash which knocks bricks out of a wall and, and a weird like vase flask thing falls out while these yeah. two blokes are, are sort of clearing everything out and they look at it and say, is it ours? And one of them just is so sort of pragmatic and, you know, not, not even pragmatic, just very much not my job. Says, does it say government property on it? Like, no, leave it. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but, Never mind that it's glowing green. Sod that, you know, I'll just leave it there. Yeah, but come on, if you actually saw that glowing green, would you touch it? No, I'd be running a mile, mate. I wouldn't be there staying you... there and putting together my little wall. I'd be off. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> I um, suppose. Um, yeah. The girls in the water, though, we see that the boat is now moving underneath them again, and the mist returns, doesn't it, that we spoke about in the, the opening of the story with the Russian sailors, or Russian soldiers, sorry. And the girls vanish. Yeah, the uh, the the danger mist is back. Mm. Um, which it was at this point after they've been in it since episode, you know, since partway through the first episode, I found out one of them was called Phyllis. <laughs> yeah, I mean, li- I'll tell you what. Literally, as we're sat here recording, I've gone to look up their names because I I didn't know what their names were. Yeah. Uh, this uh, then again, this is a problem with the episode. So many names thrown at you. I've had to go back and add names in in hindsight. Mm. Um, at this point, Millington's going even weirder. Um, he's ordering all outside communication lines uh, disabled, you know, all radio and telephone and anything else, and wants all chess sets burned. Yes, indeed. Now, we then, obviously, after this, we see that a soldier, I think his name is Perkins, carrying out these actions for him. And he says he wants all the the outside lines, the radios and all that disabled. Rather than just unplug them, Perkins beats the piss out of them with an axe. <laughs> yeah, and, then tur- and then turns around all proud of himself. There you go. I've done it. It's like, why don't you just unplug it? Or like, just, you know, take a wire out or something. Why have you done that? At that point, I wanted Captain Mannering from Dad's Army to walk in, slap him around the face and call him a stupid boy. A <laughs> stupid boy. Um, <laughs> yeah. As well, it, it gets better because when, the, when, he's, when they find him doing that, this is obviously a bit later on, Millington, who ordered him, I oh know. So Millington's running. He's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "You ordered all. You ordered it all destroyed." He's like, "No, I didn't." You know, it was um, you know, 
needed it sorting out. But uh, then the doctor just goes, excellent work, and I'll put it back together. Yeah. <laughs> and they just leave him, and you never see him again. Well, no, of course you don't. He's far too busy building all those bloody things back. He's smashed oh, all the oh, might be getting shot. Yeah, that's true. But well, we've missed as well. Millington has his other weirdness when the doctor and uh, and Ace are in there with the in that room with the baby, because he finds out that the baby's there, and he gets all shitty about the baby being on base. Yeah, he gives her twenty four hours to clear the baby off, doesn't he? Yeah, just you know, get rid of it. You can, you can always make a new one. That was the yeah, kind of attitude you got from him. He's a very strange dude. He's a bit of a dick. Yeah. Yes. But um, then of... the. Uh, the the ultimate machine spits out like the chains of Fenric shatter, uh-huh. and then we get um, sort of a the soldier on the beach sees sort of decidedly more corpsey versions of uh, of the two lasses. They're proper vamped up here, aren't they? And yeah. this is the scene I was referring to earlier on. This and when you see them again a bit later on, but as as the vampires, yeah, this is what scared me as a kid. Looking at it now as an adult, I was like, what the bloody hell is wrong with me? But this is what scared me. Is again, they've got these crazy long fingernails. They're all pale. They're all creepy. They're talking in these weird, whispery voices. But what also apparently happens to people in the 1940s when they get turned into vampires is they develop very mid-1980s haircuts. It's funny that, isn't it? Yeah, because they were just huge, big 80s hair now, weren't they? Yeah, it was yeah, but you know, one of those things. Vampires have to look different, don't they? Yeah. Um yeah, that's true. and then but even then they get um I'm oh, sorry, it's just after this. So they uh is that was that when they load the um they did they load the guy into the water and said, Come and play with us and then you see the clawed hands and the sea creatures yeah. dragging him down into the water. Again, real vivid memories from when I was a child, yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. Well, do you know what? I, I can't wait for later in this season when uh, when you see something that will make underwater vampires just completely comedic to you. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm not letting that go. Um, yeah. So we, then, just as, since we're jumping around later on, the uh, the girls approach the vicar, and you know he's trying to you know he's trying to use the Bible, and they say he's lost his faith, and we find out that. Basically, if you've got put strong enough faith in something, that makes like a psychic barrier around yourself. So the so the and they're called hemovores, not vampires. So the hemovores can't attack you for some mm-hmm. for, for reasons. But the, I think yeah. it's around about this point with the when they were there with the vicar at this point in the next episode, he says about in the legend of Dracula um, about Dracula coming to Britain. Now. I live in York, and in Bram Stoker's Dracula, he lands. He comes ashore in Britain in Whitby, which is okay. about which is about an hour's driver to the coast from me. Because <laughs> right. uh, well, Bram Stoker spent time in Whitby, and he decided that uh, that old church up on the uh, up on the clifftop looks a bit creepy. I'm going to put that in my book. So Brilliant. when the Vikings referencing Northumbria, which is a bit further north, and the reference to Bram Stoker's Dracula. I'm concluding that this is somewhere around somewhere around the northeast coast of uh, of Yorkshire. Right. Okay. So Fair I'm enough. claiming that I'm claiming this is a home win for being featured in Doctor Who. Fair enough. Yeah, that works. That works. <laughs> uh, when the, I, had to get, I had to get that in. When the two vampire girls or hermivores or whatever um, are coming towards the vicar, <laughs> what? I thought you said herbivores. Herbivores. I said herbivores, didn't I? <laughs> it's hema. Hemovores. Hemovores, okay. What's a herbivore? 
That's herbivores are vegetarian. Eat. Yeah, okay. That's definitely not a vampire. No, they, these these lot basically exist on raw black pudding. Mm. Uh, what, what what is the proper word? Hemovore. Hemovore, right. See, it's just stupid that I got that wrong because I've got a note about that and apparently that means um, blood drinker or yeah, blood, eater. blood eater or something like that in like Latin or, or some sort of Latin Greek crossover. Fancy doctor language. Yes, there you go. Uh, Okie doke. Um, mm. When when they're approaching the vicar and we get this nonsense about it's you know they can they're gonna, they're still going to get him because he has no faith. First of all, that's a bit of a rewriting of the story of, of how that things work, isn't it? Because it's, it's it's actually the the religious symbolism that affects them as opposed to the the faith itself. But it works yeah, for this, I guess. It's usually the sign of the cross, but I, I don't have yeah. any I don't have any problem because this is kind of framed as a truth behind the legend kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, however, they get stopped by the Doctor and Ace, and they leave because the Doctor simply just tells them to go away. Now, see, that's what I'm so that's what I was saying before. It's not because the Doctor tells them to go away. It's because the Doctor. It's because faith in faith in something, if it's strong enough, sends the heme of ours packing and creates a, a, a psychic barrier. Right. So okay. whatever the so whatever the doctor has faith in is strong enough that it pushes them back, and then later on in in pretty much the final scene, Ace's faith in the doctor nearly gets the doctor's plan to go tits up mm. because it because she holds the ancient one back. Yes. So that's that's basically it, and and again, this would have tied in thematically brilliantly if I'd have got Matt Smith in the drawer and could have done the God Complex. Right. Okay. Very similar, very similar th- idea, but I told twisted. you, mate. I will happily, I will happily trade you, Matt Smith, for one, one of the other doctors. Nah, we can't do it. Maybe next season. <laughs> oh man, um, the, the 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 vampire lasses that leave, and but they're very you know adamant. They they make sure they explain to them we'll be back. You know, which of course, you know, is always a good horror trait, isn't it? And um, they're, they're, they're also, it's not that dark either, so they can't be proper vampires because sunshine kills these fuckers, doesn't it? In 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 the myth, yes. Yeah. Okay. They can't be proper vampires. Oh, maybe. Do you know what? <laughs> do you know what it is then? Do you know what it could be? What? Maybe they're so pale because they've just got shitloads of factor fifty on. Ah, and they just look normal, otherwise. It's like that bit. It's like that thing in in the first Blade film. I'm not seeing I that. ain't seen that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, get that one on your bingo card. Yeah. Or, or like when you see the people playing cricket and they got them white smudges on their face. Yeah. Except cricketers aren't, aren't all vampires as far as I'm aware. Maybe they are. Maybe that's how they can play the same game for five days, you know, because they're immortal because they're vampires and it doesn't matter to them. Time is just nothing to them. Oh, five days of test cricket flies by, mate. You don't know what you're on about. Anyway. Anyway. Um, <laughs> We might have missed a couple of bits here, but this is sort of getting drastically, uh, sorry, very quickly towards the end of, of season two. And we get another really good cliffhanger because the Ultima machine's going out of control. The doctor's kind of figured out that he doesn't want Judson to finish the inscriptions. Mm-hmm. Ace, Ace has realized that, she, oh, we missed this bit. Ace told Millington, uh, sorry, Millington, Ace told Judson that the, that the runes and the inscriptions were a logic puzzle. Which yeah, helps you figure like, it out. Yeah, she she's she does that a couple of times in this story, doesn't she? Kind of tries to help a little bit. Yeah, yeah, but with the best of intentions. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. 
and, and you know we've got all this coming together and added to that the ultimate machines going at four times speed there's monsters of all eras you see like you know elizabethan roofs around the necks viking sort of era and the more recently deceased all rising out of the water in various states of i suppose decay or transformation into amphibious creatures nearly yeah yeah that makes sense and the the doctor runs in demanding the machine be stopped and tries it and you just have millington very dramatically screaming that they're too late Mm. yes indeed and those monsters again coming out the water looking the way they did it, that that's like the last of the three images that stick in my head from this story from when I was a kid. Mm. The the girls in the water as the vampires, the the hands grabbing the soldiers' legs, and then this bit. You know, the, um, honestly, yeah, terif- I that. when I was little, terrifying. I get that completely. Like, there's a real contrast between how the creatures in this serial look and the one that comes after it that we've already looked at in survival with the with the cheetah creatures. Yeah, one is very one is very good. The other is very funny. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. And these are <laughs> this is genuinely, again, to to child me. This is genuinely scary. Absolutely. If I, yeah. If I sat down with Charlie to watch this, oh, I don't know Char- Charlie's only thirteen now. She'll be thirteen in a couple of months, so maybe she would look at it and think it's a bit silly, a bit funny because it's it looks a bit dated, whatever. But mm. I, I'd have thought a couple of years back at least, this would have scared my daughters as well. Yeah, definitely. If, if this had been me at that time watching that, you know, as a young kid, it would have scared the crap out of me. Mm. Until the next episode, when we see them all walking around and they're walking on the beach and it looks like a shit version of the Thriller video. Yeah, I've literally got that written in front of me. Shit version <laughs> of Thriller. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, God, we're developing a hive mind. This can't be good. No, it's not at all. Not at all. Uh, I mean, again, this this third episode, I think it does the job it needs to do without actually accomplishing anything spectacular. Because part three is literally just making sure everything is coming together for the end of the story in part four. So a lot Mm -hmm. happens to get us to where we need to be without actually anything massively happening. Yeah, it's it's you can you can almost bullet point it. And the first one is that nobody's going to touch the ultimate machine until it until it's done its thing. Mm-hmm. We've got Ace being uh, Ace going to check on uh, Kathleen and the baby who we saw before. Um, got sort of Judson insisting that it's all superstition and. And you know, having an argument with Millington and their history, you know, brings up their history, and that's another bit that's kind of doesn't necessarily need explaining, but I'd be intrigued to know what it was. Okay. Obviously, with what you said earlier, there was more to their relationship because um, Millington uh, Judson mentions about his chains, as he calls them, which is obviously the, the limitations of of being confined to the wheelchair. Yeah, and Millington's sort of incredibly upset that he's still bringing it up for something that happened 20 years ago and you know he offers he's offered judson everything since and it's like yeah but if you somehow caused that it's not it's not something you can make up for is it <laughs> no that's right and i did kind of get that hint as well that it was something to do with with him that caused the accident or caused the issue yeah and, and i wonder if it was his 
obsession with this, you know, with the mythology, with the curse, or if it was just a complete accident separate. Because mm. if, it's, if it's a long-standing infatuation that, that Millington's got with this myth, this myth and he's, you know, he'll stop at nothing to get it. It'd sort of follow on that, you know, it, it, his friends would get hurt in the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think something else happens here that I, I, they can't have planned for. They may have, may have worked around the forecast. I don't know, but they can't have planned for it. It's now raining mm-hmm. in this story. And I think that really adds to certain aspects of this. Oh, definitely. Yeah. When you, when you see the, the, the zombie, sorry, the, the vampire girls again, and they're soaking wet this time, they look even more scary than when they were just in the water. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Because this is the bulk of the episode now. When you say about them being, you know, in the rain and whatnot, it, it's the attack of the hemovores in the church, and, yes. and all, you know, not everything surrounding that. Because effectively, you've got Ace, the Doctor, and the Vicar trapped in this little area of the church, and it, it's quite a good scene to be honest. You know, quite a bit going on. Ace tries to get up to the roof. She's got a ladder in her backpack. Because of course, she's climbing... she has. <laughs> well, got... why not? Got to be prepared. It's like Batman's belt. He's got everything on there. Um, you know, she comes, she climbs down, but then she's accosted by the Hemovars. Then she gets saved by the Russians. So that's planting the seeds of, of cooperation that we see come to fruition in the next episode um, and things like that. I mean, and now I'm saying it back, may, one of the sort of quick relationships that come into this kind of makes a bit more sense. If it's Sorin that saves Ace, I can see why she gets infatuated with him very quickly. Yeah. If it's like, oh my God, you saved my life. Yeah, I get you. That makes sense. Yes. I think, thankfully, uh, as well, we skipped over the uh, the bit where Ace was distracting the guards because that was just uncomfortable. I can distract the guard, Professor. I'm not a little girl. <laughs> mm. And then, but then it's so strange. I mean, I've I'm not exactly you know particularly talented when it comes to the art of flirtation, and I don't really think I've had many people flirt with me. So perhaps I'm the wrong person to to judge, but. <laughs> she's t- she's talking to this guard by way of distraction, and she's talking about how she likes the way the wind feels because it blows through her dress and stuff. Is that, that that's weird, isn't it? Yeah, it didn't do it for me. No, very, very <laughs> strange. Which is a yeah. shame because nineteen forties eight looks quite hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you you best hope she's supposed to be nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> Her. Um, <laughs> I mean, also, whilst this is this is all happening, the Doctor is l- looking for this Oriental treasure that Ace just happens to be carrying alongside him. <laughs> that yeah. bit cracked me out. Where did you yeah. get that? Oh, I've just got it. Well, that's what we're looking for. <laughs> yeah, later on. He's, that's the thing in this sort of serial that Sylvester McCoy's had a bit of a he's had a bit of a bee in his bonnet, and he throughout the yeah. whole thing. He's been a bit short and a bit grumpy, and it's. It's been a touch more first doctor than uh, than seventh. Yeah, but this is apparently what what the, the writing and the directors and the producers and so on were going for. The right. the beginning of Sylvester McCoy's time as the doctor, he was this kind of cheeky chappy sort of you know funny little dude. I mean, almost a little bit Triton esque at times, I guess, with his sort of cheeky chappy style. Hmm. They wanted this story arc running through, especially involving Ace, and then of course we find out later on in this story that it involves Fenric and the the wolves and all that sort of stuff. And it was going to be carried on into the next season as well, and the Doctor was going to become deliberately more mysterious, right? And and more 
not scary, like scary bad, but more like a, like an air to him of being this mysterious time traveling alien as opposed to this cheeky chappy and so on. So mm. I think that was done deliberately to try and head towards where they wanted to be. But obviously right. it was canned. So, yeah. Oh, that makes more sense. Then. Um, but then this is the, <laughs> this, this bit is where I've just written. That's a bit bollocks. Um, because this is the the point where the doctor just stands in the middle of the room, says "Have faith," and this like holy music starts playing, and the Hemovars yes. retreat. That was shit. Yeah, is that when he's kind of half singing? Stood there with his majestic sweater vest. Mm. Yeah, he's saying the names of former companions. Oh, he's he's saying like Barbara. Uh, I think Vicky gets a mention, Stephen, and so on. But apparently, the idea is that his complete faith is the faith his companions had in him, or something. But I've also got <laughs> uh, uh, my, in, that's arrogant. My oh, faith yeah, totally. is the faith you had in me. <laughs> yeah, or their relationship, or whatever. And um, again, you saying that it was bollocks. My notes say Doctor Chance ex companions' names scares off vampires. This is wank. So we're in the same general region then, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah, so. it was just, it just wasn't, it was just odd. And then late, and then just after this, we're they're sort of all there and the, you know, we've, we've learned about the psychic barrier and they're going to go out through the lab and the, uh, the this Russian, this is Sorin, goes off to see his comrades and says, you you know, the doctor's saying you've got to have complete faith and he's got his hammer and sickle pin and he's got faith in the revolution. Just out of nowhere, he gives Ace his scarf, and now I've just put my notes. When the fuck did they get friendly? Yeah, yeah, it's all very quick, isn't it? You know, perhaps he, he, this he is one of the things three tonight. minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he saved a life three minutes ago, and now he's just looking at us going, "If we, yeah, if we survive this, fancy a bit." Yeah, yeah, totally. And Ace is going along with uh, it. Fair enough. Yeah, oh yeah, she's well up for this, isn't she, Ace? She's, you know, she's felt the wind blowing through her fucking jaws or whatever it bloody was. Yeah, she's well up for it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> she's felt, felt a gust in her bloomers. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, there's a moment as well in this episode where Ace goes back to see the baby Audrey and her mum. And it's, it's quite sad because she's received a telegram saying that her husband's ship was struck by, a, a, you know, by, well, it's been sunk and he's missing an action and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. I had to rewind this because I was watching it whilst typing um, other notes and so on. And then as they were talking, I could have sworn I heard the baby's mother turn to Ace and say, her fella's ship was struck by limited pedos. <laughs> <laughs> and i was like what <laughs> a, a, a set amount of nonces has taken down this ship <laughs> yeah, i was like what 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 so i had to rewind it and it's like oh no she didn't say that at all but now if you go back and watch this episode again and you play that bit you will hear limited pedos because that's what, what i hear what was he aboard hms diddler <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's not a small ship <laughs> oh oh dear um ace also confronts the doctor doesn't he which i think this is quite an important thing we need to cover because the doctor obviously knows more than he's letting on and he keeps telling ace don't worry about it don't worry about it i'm not gonna tell you or whatever ace confronts the doctor and and sylvester mccoy here i think is really good 
Oh, yeah, I've got this all written down as well. So I'll take over if you don't mind. Yeah, carry on, carry on. Yeah, Ace berates him saying he always knows what's going on, but just couldn't be bothered to tell anyone. Like it's a game and only he knows the rules. He knew about the inscription being a computer program, but didn't tell her. He knew about the old bottle and didn't tell her and asked if she's so stupid. And the doctor's saying, oh, it's not that, it's not that. And then she says, what then? And this is where we get the real sense that there's something that the doctor's had involvement with this before. Because he just started that very Sylvester McCoy, frantic, almost fearful kind of way, saying evil since the dawn of time. And he says, what do you mean? Stop asking questions. Tell me, you know, they argue, tell me, the beginning of all beginnings, two forces, good and evil, then chaos. Time is born, matter, space. The universe cries out like a newborn. The forces shatter as the universe explodes outwards. Only echoes remain, and somehow the evil force survives. An intelligence, pure evil. This really powerful little speech in the middle of all this insanity. And then just right after that, uh, Ace asks, that's Fenric. So, no, that's just Millington's name for it. Evil has no name. But it's been trapped inside a flask like a genie in, it, like a, genie in a bottle. Hmm. And the resolve to release uh, release Captain Sorin, because by this point as well, um, Millington's captured the Russians. Just yes. another thing. Just another thing that happened. Something else that happened. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because as, as they've as they've they've been chased by the Hemovores through the through the lab through the tunnels, and the tunnel has now been barricaded. Except yeah. there's no barricade at the other end, so the the Hemovores could just turn around and go back. Or they could show one of their powers, which is that, as the doctor points out, they can weld metal with their bare hands underwater. So they've obviously got some kind of heat power because they need the, the story needed them to have that. Yeah, and they just melt yeah, the way through else. this, yeah. melt the way through this iron door. Yeah, and it smashes down, doesn't it? And they basically break out of this, don't they? Yeah. If you watch yeah. it back, the two main vampire girls that we've, we've had running through the whole story the one on the left trips over <laughs> i missed that yeah if you go back and watch it it's literally they cut it just after it's happened she doesn't fall but she stumbled where, where there's like well it's just broken and hit the deck she yeah. has a little bit of a oh hello moment you know <laughs> that's awesome I, i'm gonna have to have a, have a gander at that next, when i get a minute um, me up. yeah it'd crack me up as well but yeah, they. It, oh no, though, though this is when we get the flirting. So we've already covered that. No need to uh, to revisit that bullshit. But then the Hemovores break through the door, and the Vicar uses his renewed faith to force them back into the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it was his faith wasn't that strong. And he dies. <laughs> <laughs> I have renewed faith in the Lord and in good and in everything that's good in this world. Good will prevail. And then and the vampires are like, we don't the vampire just says, the vampires, the, the hemovores just like, but do you believe in yourself? And he stood there with his arms outstretched, looking all holy, and he just goes, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and it was at this moment he realized he'd made a mistake. <laughs> and at this moment he knew he fucked up. <laughs> yeah, so the vicar's dead. And... <laughs> <laughs> that's a t-shirt isn't it yeah just a tardis with the and so the vicar's dead across it <laughs> just, with just a with just a bl- with bloody vestments underneath it <laughs> just the dog collar with a couple of spots of blood um <laughs> little puddle <laughs> yeah um, uh, everyone at this point is, is starting to think that the commanding officer of Camp is it 
is actually Fenric, aren't they? Yes, uh, but well, along those lines. But the Doctor points out that evil needs a body; it doesn't have one yet. Mm-hmm. But Millington wants to be the host. So the the uh, sort of a thing that I'm noticing with these classic who's is it, it's very much we'll go to this place, then we'll go to this place, then we'll go back to this place and back to this place. Um, yeah. So they're back in with the Ultima machine that's still working. Um, and Millington's there banging on about how the time is now. The chains of Fenric are broken. Dead Men's ship has slipped its moorings. Uh, the Great Ash itself trembles to its roots, which is a reference to Yggdrasil again, the, the world tree in Norse mythology. Okay. And uh, there's a there's a sort of a bit of a lightning lightning um, lightning blast, and everybody's thinking, "Oh, what the hell!" And then out of nowhere, Judson pops up in the background, standing up. He's got he's got he's got the yellow evil piss eyes, <laughs> and he looks at the doctor and says, "We play the contest again, Time Lord." Yes, I thought that reveal was really clever. Yeah, I liked it because th- there was the lightning, there was the the boom. Judson came out of his chair. Millington's still waffling on, but Millington takes focus. Mm-hmm. And then you just see it's like people lose their mind in wrestling nowadays. Where you see, like, I think it was um, in wrestling where you get someone, lo- you get the camera shot where someone looms up behind the other one. Yes, yes. People lose their mind out of that over that. This was Doctor Who was doing it thirty years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's done so well, you know, because you don't expect to see that guy there because he's been in a wheelchair the whole time. And then when he stands up, that's initially a whoa moment. And then he opens his eyes and you're like, oh my goodness, again, aren't you? It's, it's really, really clever. Yeah, really well done. And and this is where everything sort of ties in going into episode four. It's, it's gradually got creeper and creeper as we've gone along. And the first creepy thing in episode four was Kathleen singing Rockabye Baby to, to the baby in the middle of a thunderstorm. Yeah, that was eerie, wasn't it? Yeah, it was with everything like, going on, yeah. EBGBs, like, you know. Yeah, and then for some reason, twice within the first sort of five to seven minutes, they feel the need to explain the outline of, of Fenric's history with the Doctor. Yes. So you get a rough explanation first, saying that the Doctor trapped him for 17 centuries in a shadow dimension, but his preparations are complete. There's a, bl- there's a bolt of lightning and he disappears. And then a few minutes later is explaining to Millington. <laughs> Actually, I'll just give the whole thing. Fenric slash Judson is just stood there near the gas chamber that we, that was used in the experiments before saying, ah, the sound of dying when it comes to death quantity is so much more satisfying than quality. And uh, Millington comes in to, uh, to talk to me. He says, don't interrupt me when I'm eulogizing. <laughs> like, Mate, chill the fuck out. Yeah. Um, apologies if you hear any noise in the background. It has just started hailstoning outside. Um, oh, okay. So you, I can't hear anything, just, mate. So, all right, that's good then. Um, so he says, "Don't interrupt me when I'm eulogising," which is just a great line. And uh, but he explains again: for 17 centuries, I was trapped in the shadow dimension because of him. He pulled bones from the desert and uh, desert sand and carved them into chess pieces. Challenged me to solve his puzzle, but I failed. Now I shall see him kneel bef- kneel before me before I watch him die. It's like, but whenever whenever given an explanation as to why Fenric can't resist this puzzle, no, or that, how that the doctor, or how, yeah, or how the doctor trapped him, yeah, I mean it's something to do with carved 
chess pieces made out of certain bones to do or whatever, but it's but then it doesn't play off later because they just use a chess a chess set that Kathleen had in a bag. Mm. Yeah, this is true. Um, the, the whole thing with Fenric as well is they and the chess sets and so on. Again, this is like the continuing story arc that they were sort of going towards. We'd already seen moments of it in this season already. So right. when the Doctor meets Ace, she's um, basically on this this planet, effectively working as a waitress, I suppose. And she's arrived there because there was some kind of space storm or time storm that caused that to happen. Mm. So she ended up having to just work on. Apparently, when she grew up in London in the eighties, and now she's on this alien planet working as a waitress or whatever she just gets on with it gets herself a job good luck to the lass but um the reason she is there is apparently because fenric caused the whole i can't remember the correct word for it and i apologize to everyone listening time storm fenric yeah the fenric caused the, the time storm and yeah. also in the silver nemesis with the one with the cybermen i was mentioning and so on mm. there's a medieval queen and knight arriving in modern day uh, wherever they are, modern day, it, it, it's the it's in England, isn't it? In modern day UK, and the Cybermen are there, and so on. And her arrival there is apparently due to this same time storm. And in her room, when the Doctor goes and sees her at one stage during the story, there is a chess set, and Sylvester McCoy moves one of the pieces. And I, I don't know if he says it by name, but there is a form of reference to Fenric then as well. Oh, okay, so it's like so they're almost was... dropping bits in. But then it gets canned, so you never really know where it's going. That's a bastard. Mm. That is a real shame. Because the, the, this episode, the, the best parts of this episode are, are all sort of either Doctor or Fenric centric. We get we get sort of the stuff with the Russians and and the and the Brits ended up working together and realizing that war is slaughter, and we have a, a very unsubtle commentary on war saying war's just a game played by politicians but now the pawns are fighting back which I, I, I did love I thought that was great but everything in this is very much Fenric and the Doctor yes and and the guy who and, and the ancient one that gets someone that looks like Cthulhu who fucked Swamp Thing yeah <laughs> and it is all just building to this final I suppose I suppose the term is final battle or final fight scene, I guess, isn't it? With regards to yeah. it all happening in this one particular place and the green goo is involved again. <laughs> From Inferno. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, talk us through the, the end of that then, Dan, and what sort of goes on with regards to Fenric, the, uh, the yeah, name. So I'll, the I'll, 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 I'll give the rundown. Yeah. Uh, the ancient one. So I'll give it a bit of a rundown. Uh, That's the ancient one. Sorry, I don't know why it escaped me. I had a proper brain fart then. It's disappeared from my head. Well, it's because they, they do call him the uh, the Great Serpent at one point. Because that leads Millington to Babylon more about you know, more of the more of the um the prophecy, if you like, you know, the Great Serpent mm-hmm. shall rise and, and spew venom across the world. Which is the poison. You know, the, they've laid They've laid the seeds of this very well, you know, with like the ancient myths and lines, and now it's all coming true as, as we're watching it play out. Um, so we find out that Fenric is basically just wanting to cause death because he has the ancient one kill all the hemovars, which solves that problem. Yeah, that um, was that was very quickly, wasn't it? This long-term vampire issue, just gone. 
Yeah, but there was a great, um, there was at least great effects for the two lasses dying. Um, you know, as they sort of rotted away, and then they had, you know, the skulls were there, and they just crumbled to dust. That was pretty well done. Yes, that was. Yes. Um, and let me just find my notes for the very end. So basically, Fenric has been manoeuvring the pieces of his game for everyone to be here. The descendants of the wolves of Fenric, the people who first. Uh, who first buried the flask and, and all of that. Judson was one of them, so was Millington, the Ancient One, and Sorin, and Ace. And that's when we get the reveal that baby Audrey is Ace's mother. Yes. And F- Fenric says it's time for one final game. You know, Sorry, Ace has complete faith in the Doctor, and the ancient, therefore the Ancient One can't kill her. So Fenric threatens Ace with the poison, and if the Doctor wants her to live, he must kneel. And the doctor just tells him to kill her. Yeah. Really cold, isn't it? Oh, yeah. There's a real change in demeanor. And he's just sort of arrogantly saying to Fenric, do you really think I didn't know? The chess set in Lady Painforth's study, I knew. There you go. Lady Painforth. That's the one who... Yeah. Yeah. And then he's... Uh, but then Fenric's saying, before that time, Lord, before Cybermen, ever since Iceworld, where you first met this girl. And he's saying, I knew... I knew she carried that evil inside her. You think I'd have chosen a social misfit if I hadn't known? She couldn't even pass her chemistry exams yet. She creates a time storm in her bedroom. I saw your hand in it from the beginning. And this is really fucking with Ace's emotions. Yeah, this is harsh. It really is it, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. He's being, he's, being, he's being horrible to her. He calls her, <laughs> excuse the wording, he calls her an emotional cripple and said he wouldn't waste his time on her unless he had to use her. It's, it's terrible, isn't it, really? It's awful. And she's heartbroken and devastated by this. But that frees up the Ancient One, who can now get past her. And the Ancient One backs Fenric into the gas chamber and breaks a thing of the poison, killing them both. Yep. Because earlier in the, earlier in the episode, the Doctor had collared the Ancient One in a corridor because well, sorry. Before this, the ancient one and Fenric have a conversation, and the ancient one saying his world's dead. But Fenric drops in and says, "Well, this isn't your world yet, not for a long time." I think, well, hang on, what? So he, tell, he says, first you must kill," and tells him to go poison the water. Mm. And he's uh, put. He um, wants enough enough of that poison in the water to basically wipe everything out, doesn't he? Yeah, well, that's just the start of it. Yeah, the rest of it will all be bombed and whatnot. And then, the, but the doctor says to effectively says to the ancient one, "This is what all one of Fenric's games. He carries you back thousands of years in time in a time storm to destroy the Earth's water with chemicals to destroy your future. Think on it: your Earth, your world, dying in chemical slime. This act will be the beginning of your end, because in the world that the ancient one is from in the future." It's the Earth's knackered. It's dying. The surface is mm. a chemical slime, and it's it's half a million years of industrial progress just wiped out. So this is when I was going to say the bootstrap paradox. This is the bootstrap paradox in that the in that something has gone back in time to be the cause of something that happens in the future. Okay, yeah, like Back but, to the Future. Not quite. Back to the Future is more like the grandfather paradox. Oh yeah, of course, because he's done. Yeah, and he's, and the, yeah. yeah the, and the the the, boot, the the bootstrap paradox is what they call a causal loop. So, if if you view time as linear, 
then you get to the the ancient ones time in the future where the earth's just a ball of chemical slime and it's not worth shit he's then the ancient ones then been plucked from the future put into the past to then be the cause of the problems in the future right but then how did the the earth go wrong in the first place if he caused the if he caused the problem if he was born from and into the problems of the future how did they happen in the first place so that he was born into them so he he could then go to the past yeah no i get you it, yeah so you're stuck in this infinite loop it basically what came first the chicken or the egg yeah 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 it's confusing but also fascinating at the same time yeah and that's where the sort of theories of of alternate timelines and 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 multiversal theory and, and things like that come into play because you think that well what you know if, if each like if each decision causes a new branch of reality is it then possible is it basically then you get plucked from that bit taken to cause it and that's now a di- now you're in a fr- like a different fracture of a different branch of reality a different dimension or, or, or universe or whatever you want to call it it's mind-bending mm. to think about and i lack the intelligence to 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 uh, to explain it on a podcast yeah we're actually sounding quite sophisticated and clever this week aren't we Apart from all the, all the sex noises stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we, half an hour ago we were discussing what all the all the doctor's sex noises sound like sounded like. <laughs> yeah, we've come a long way in those thirty minutes. Um, <laughs> I managed to hit my desk. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh dear. But yeah, it, it's a really clever way to sort of tie a lot of it in. Um, and yeah, it's just a, it's just a lot of fun, you know. There's, it's all that sort of that wibbly wobbly, timey wimey goodness that we all like, you know. Ace has found her, own, you know, has inadvertently found her own mother. Um, you know, this has all been a plan stretching across thousands of years that the doctors sort of figured out. But the most intriguing part of all of it is the doctor having to break Ace's faith in him. Yeah, and how he yeah. wins her back, how he wins her back round after. Um, which doesn't take too long. <laughs> well, he kind of just sort of goes, oh, I was only joking. I didn't really mean it, mate. Yeah. We're good, aren't we? Yeah, pint then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, it, it was just, it, I think the problem is, I think she really latches onto the, the emotional line mm. um, because they're on the beach at the very end saying, you know, and Ace is saying, why can't she stop hating her mum? but yet she loved the baby. And the doctor has a great line again saying, love and hate, frightening feelings, especially if trapped struggling beneath the surface. Uh, surface. Mm. And Yeah. I mean, it's also it, interesting with regards to her relationship with her mum in that when she was, basically at one stage they were getting held at gunpoint by the Russians, effectively a firing squad, they're going to get killed. And Ace's, what would have been Ace's last words before they were rescued, was um i'm sorry mum oh shit i didn't even clock that i heard her say i'm sorry but i didn't hear her say mum yeah so that's kind of another little extra bit added in i mean there's so much going on in these four episodes that we could do another two hours on this quite easily because there yeah. is so many 
moments we've kind of skirted over or not covered or not done it in order because there's so much going on. But I, I, I really contradict myself when it comes to us summarizing the summing up the episode, to be honest, and when we get to that point. Hmm. Oh, I thought I thought you were going to launch into it now, uh, because oh, I, I, like it, like well, it's like you say there, there's so much to cover. I think we've covered the main points, mm-hmm. the sort of the salient points. The rest of it was there were times when it was like filler, but fun filler, like the uh, the other the other women that you saw in the um, in the listen the message listening room. You know, they all get attacked by hemovores, all get turned, and then and then devour a soldier. Yeah. That was a real nice little, mo- you know, that was a real cool little callback. You didn't just see them in peril and then nothing happened, you know. Oh, no, wait, they were hemovores. Um, which makes, you know, the ancient one killing all the hemovores quite, you know, all the more chilling. And, you know, it does tie in very well. Um, but, yeah, I think we've hit upon the main points. If um, if you need anything fleshing out even more, I'd urge you to go watch it yourself and, and you know, drop us some, you know, drop us a tweet, drop us a message. We'll... I'll talk about this all day. The only thing stopping us doing a four-hour podcast is four-hour podcasts are very hard to listen to, and I've got to get shifting at some point. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, my, my thoughts on the whole thing in general then, and again, like I said, I'm going to contradict myself here, so bear with me as I sort of run through my, my initial mm. summary, I suppose. There's far too much going on for you to really digest, well, me anyway, to really digest any one particular point because there's all these different stories running at the same time, all these different scenes and, and, and the cuts back and forth. Like I mentioned earlier on, because certain aspects of the story were, was taken out of the episodes that were released. It's almost too fast at times. There's all these characters. It's not a massive cast to be fair, but there's, a, there's all these characters that you struggle to know the names of because it is so fast moving. I mean, the, the two vampire girls are in it really that they're a very prominent position on the on the show they're in it a great deal they interact with ace they interact with the doctor they become effectively the the faces of this vampire group i guess at one point it weren't until sitting down and recording with you now dan that i actually found out one of their names when you mentioned it you know and and then their names were mentioned on the show so it shows how there was so much going on it almost muddied the waters a little bit because there was that much information being thrown at you at once I think there's certain aspects of it that are just a little bit silly. There are certain aspects of it that I thought was very eighties, but not in a great way. Uh, There's a lot, there's a lot in this story that I wish they would have spent a little bit more time on and just slowed down a bit for me to fully grasp the whole scenario because I got to the end of it still wondering what the fuck was going on here, what was going on there. And there are literal moments when I'm watching the show and I'm, I like, you know, I, I don't come across that way very often. Of course, you know, people have heard me talk, but I like to think when it comes to certain things, especially with regards to watching television, that I love, I'm relatively intelligent enough to understand how, what's going on. There were several moments in this story where I'm sat there literally going saying to myself, what the fuck is happening? It was far too much. However, and this is the big contradictory point now, I bloody loved it. Yeah. <laughs> it go- that goes along with what I was saying before about all these multiple threads, multiple stories, and the fast pace of it. You either feel left behind or you feel like you're along for the ride. Mm-hmm. You were along for the ride. despite, And, and I'm very much... I'm, 
very similar. For all the silliness, for all the you know bits that are quite laughable, for all the stuff that went unexplained, and for all the bits that had too much explanation, watching all of this, I was entertained. I enjoyed it. I want to know more about the whole curse of Fenric, about how we got there. I want to know more about the Doctor and Fenric's history. It, it was good. It's got its flaws, but it was good. And that that that's the best way I can say the best thing I can say about it. This is in fact this is one that will warrant multiple watch throughs. I will mm-hmm. go back and watch this again because I'm sure there's detail that I've missed. Like I say, we could have done another podcast on this, and I'm sure I didn't have the most amount of time to make my notes. Yeah, there's more to explore there. Yeah, totally. I also think as well we're looking at this story. I suppose uh, it's twofold in a way. We're looking at this story out of context. We're looking at one story per doctor because that's how our podcast operates. We haven't had the little hints and touches in previous stories that if we were watching the television in 89 week to week, we would have had. Also, this story, when it aired, was moved, as I mentioned at the start of the show. So it wasn't in the, the exact timeline it was written. So there were bits and bobs that were referenced in other stories and this story that may have opened our eyes a little bit. I'm not saying it for definite, Dan, but may have opened our eyes a little bit more to what yeah. was going on. Yeah, potentially. But uh, at the end, if that's the case, then context would have only made it even better. So uh-huh. at the very least, you're left with a very good serial that has the potential to be brilliant. Yes. And I'm happy yeah. with that. It's, like I say, it's got its flaws, but I'd urge everyone out there. that It's like when we did Happiness Patrol, I couldn't in good conscience recommend that to a a new Doctor Who fan, you know, somebody just getting into it. I could sit, I would think I could sit people down, watch Curse of Fenric and have them appreciate enough of it to make, to have them watch more Doctor Who. And that's a great endorsement as far as I'm concerned. That's, that's one of the biggest endorsements you can give a classic Who story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very much enjoyed it. I think we're off to a, a a really good start with season one. Yeah. Sorry, season three. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I agreed with you then, and it's yeah, <laughs> yeah <he's agreed. laughs> and with regards to Ace, her sort of story arc that involves a lot of her past and and this whole time storm thing, it runs throughout her character. There are I think three main stories that really deal with it in this series, and then the whole Fenric Ace stuff carries on in the audio recordings. Is it called Big Finish, Dan? I think. Yes, big finished productions. Yeah, there is some there is some that carries on into that as well. So there is a, a sort of more to the story afterwards as well. Apparently, not that I've heard it, but yeah, that's apparently out there as well. Big finish, huh? Ah, uh, so then, so then, so then, the curse of Fenric. I would definitely go back and watch it again as well, mate. I think you're right. I think this is a great start to our third season. Yeah, it is, and we're going to see how. Pertwee stacks up because we're moving on to the Sea Devils, um, who apparently are only in this serial with Pertwee, um, and that until they reappeared recently, uh, just after Flux. So I'm excited to get into that. But yeah, more than happy with Curse of Fenric, I will pat myself on the back and say, "Well picked, me. Well picked, you." I thought the, did the Sea Devils not turn up in a Peter Davidson story as well? Maybe I'm sure I heard somewhere that it was only it's, maybe it's maybe it's two then you know one or oh. two but they're only in a handful but yeah. obviously you know very memorable uh, very memorable villain so I'll be excited to see the original 
Yeah, yeah, I'm me. I'm looking forward to going. I'm fairly certain I've watched it before, but it would have been when I was very, very young. So it's almost going to be like a, a first time watch for me because I can't remember anything about it. So I can't wait to see how much of it you actually remember when you start watching it. Mm, probably not a lot. We know how my mind works. <laughs> <laughs> be three weeks after we record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Dan, do I let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online, my friend? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's six weeks out of date on movies and Doctor Who that's 25 years out of date. Uh, you can hear me on Unbooking the Territory and the sister and the side project Unbooking the Tankatory. Uh, we're on Twitter and all your podcast providers, uh, UTT Podcast and UTT Tank. Uh, Unbooking the Territory looks at the first and last of pro wrestling and Unbooking the Tankatory is a match-by-match breakdown of the in-ring career of the hardest man that ever lived tank abbott oh yes indeed yes indeed uh you can find me online at sjp words uh, but most importantly you can find the network that carries this show online uh, our hosting network i suppose at sjp world media on twitter and facebook and that's where you can find this show loads of wrestling shows uh quantum leap show a murder and mind show coming soon there's loads of stuff loads of great hosts loads of great content creators loads of great shows and even more coming soon that's at sjp world media on twitter and facebook and all your podcast carriers as well google apple spotify whatever at sjp world media and all the shows appear on the main feed there as well as having their own separate feeds if you want to go back and dive through into the archives i think that's the right term isn't it the archives that's what people say yeah that thing (laughs) Uh, but most importantly you can follow this show on facebook and twitter at the doctor who pod that's at the d-r-w-h-o-p-o-d at the doctor who pod period week next week then my friend looking forward to it Yep, beautiful stuff. Can't wait. And I'm even more excited about getting off this record because I have been sat on the edge of my bed for two hours and my ass has gone numb. <laughs> I should have known you'd do that. <laughs> uh, that's great stuff. Looking forward to next week, my friend. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. Arr. It's always like several different scenes all being tied together as he's reading this kind of, uh, well, this, 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 you know, oh, what's the fucking word? Transcription. Yes, this transcription, and I think it, I think it's so well done, so cleverly done. The doctor decides he's going to go with Ace to meet the girls for a swim, <laughs> which is yeah, a little I mean, bit. 
Cheers, cheers, perfect granddad. <laughs> oh, I'll come with you, Ace. <laughs> I don't know what that noise was then. That's the noise <laughs> Sylvester McCoy made in his head. <laughs> is that Sylvester McCoy's horny noise? <laughs> I don't know if it's yeah. worse if that's just him thinking about it or, or, or as he finishes. Oh, no. Ace, where did you say you were going to meet your two young friends? Down by the water? Her. <laughs> 1940s swimsuits? <laughs> Ankles on show? Her. Ankles. <laughs> just, there on his, just there on his vinegar strokes. And three, two, one. Her. Her. <laughs> oh, we love Celeste McCoy, though. <laughs> I don't want to think about him having a wank, though. Well, no, I, I don't. I'm not sure anyone listening to this, but I'm going to have to edit all this out. <laughs> <laughs> and there's the first outtake. Oh, oh goodness sake. Her. Her. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a that's a future special. What yeah. what do we what do we think all the doctors' horny noises are? <laughs> <laughs> Hartnell's oh, Hartnell's isn't so different to McCoy's. Hartnell's is. Yes. Adequate. Yes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh dear, I seem to call. <laughs> oh dear, I oh dear. my word, I, I appear to have arrived early. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Patrick Trouton can't come unless he hears a flute <laughs> or a recorder. Unless he's playing his flute and he's got to hit a certain <laughs> note on the flute. <laughs> he's got he's got to be playing for a certain amount of time and get out of breath. <laughs> playing the recorder while he plays the skin flute. Uh, <laughs> John Pertwee would be like from the from his re- re- uh, regeneration scene. A tear, Sarah Jane. And I think we oh, all know God. what Tom Baker really uses that scarf for. <laughs> oh, that's why it's so long, so he can't David Carradine himself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a tear, Sarah Jane. Oh, he uses, oh he, uses the, he uses the Venusian karate nerve hold on himself to make his hand go. No, it's <laughs> just like somebody else is doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. <laughs> Peter, da- Peter Davison's is that noise in the Five Doctors when he feels part of his um, part of his past being. Ah! <laughs> 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 oh, like, like, like it stings a bit on the way out. <laughs> like he needs to go and see a proper doctor to get some medication. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a funny one, I suppose. I wonder if a doctor is ever had to do like a you know an STD test. Because you think about it, he's been around like thousands of years. He's been all over the bloody place. He must be carrying all sorts of that, dude. Yeah. How many, <laughs> dicks, how many dicks do you reckon he's got? <laughs> Didn't we say on a previous episode that he had three dicks? <laughs> <laughs> the three dictors? <laughs> He's 
oh. he's got he's got three dicks in two hands, so one's just sat there <laughs> <laughs> in the middle, oh. either looking either looking sad and flaccid or stood to attention for no reason. No, it's not being left alone, mate. That's what he built K nine for. <laughs> Danger, danger, <laughs> mistress. <laughs> A tear, Sarah Jane. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! It's, yeah, that yeah that that bondage scene was cut, wasn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. Oh god! Oh, I don't know why yeah. he put K nine in the gimp mask. <laughs> I'm more concerned about that little stopper that he has with his nose because that extends. I wonder where that goes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. It's it's the fact in uh, when they're bringing back with David Tennant as well. He's got a little... He's got a little cup that pops out of him somewhere and receives fluids. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's how the doctor tests. Oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. Mm, oh, dear. Master, it appears you have gonorrhea. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, I need a drink. I've got an headache. That, that took a bit of a funny turn. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> 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 Anybody out there listening, let us know how you think each doctor comes. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, dear me. Okay. We do need to, like, talk about the curse of Fenric, really, because you've got to go soon. Tia Sarah Jane. Can we just do this for an hour and call it a day? (laughs) (laughs) And then the Vikings died. Hooray! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, What were we on about? Uh, The Curse of Fenric. Um, Yeah, I know that. (laughs) They were going to go for a swim, and Sylvester McCoy decided to go for a tug. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, They're on the beach. Yes. Right. The Doctor goes with Ace down to the beach at, at Maiden's Point. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, great stuff. Looking forward to next week, my friend. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. Huh. I knew that was coming. Oh, no, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Tears, Sarah Jane. <laughs> Get that scarf away from me, you dirty old bastard. <laughs> You're not tying me up again. (laughs) (laughs) K9, quick. (laughs) I think I've got the clap. (laughs) (laughs) It makes you really, really wonder now about the whole celery thing with Peter Davison, doesn't it? Oh, he used it it to test the air for poison and stuck it up his bum to identify anal warts. <laughs> if the celery turns green, no, it is green already, isn't it? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> if the yeah. celery comes out brown, it's fine. If it go- comes out red, I've gone too far. <laughs> if the celery turns purple, I've got hepatitis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. Oh god, I just remembered a line out of uh, out of South Park where Cartman gets AIDS, and he, he keeps saying, "I'm not just sure. I'm HIV positive." <laughs> Oh, dear me. The Doctor and Ace come across a dead soldier. And... 
what? The Doctor and Ace come, come across, across a dead soldier? Dead soldier. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> what? <laughs> come across a dead soldier. Dead soldier. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> oh, God, what if they Professor? Uh, huh. <laughs> a TSO, <Jane. laughs> Oh, God, what if they Professor? Professor. <laughs> uh, a TSO, Jane. Oh, my goodness. Okay, right, I'll do that again. It's all right. Professor. <laughs> the Doctor and Ace find a dead soldier. Oh, my goodness. Okay, right, I'll do that again. The Doctor and Ace find a dead soldier. 